Kevin Costner actually took over for the composer and wrote the score. He probably did. Actually, Edward Norton did. You didn't realize that Edward Norton <laughs> took over. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. You punch it at 8.30 every morning, except you punch it at 7.30 following a business holiday, unless it's a Monday, then you punch it at 8 o'clock. Punch it late, and they got this. Hello. Hey. Hello, everybody. This is Recotopia episode 33. The big recommend today is the HUD Sucker Proxy. Hello, I'm Chris Atkinson. Hello, I'm Jeremy Scott. And uh, hello to all of you out there on Twitch and YouTube currently watching us live on a Tuesday, several days before this podcast is released to the public. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed watching this. This is probably my 15th time watching the Hudsucker Proxy. So, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, this is this was right up my alley, obviously. Once, he, once Jeremy suggested it, I was like, yeah, I'll watch that movie again. Why not? I have watched it many, <laughs> many, many times. So uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about movies today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, go ahead. Yeah, do you have any small recommends? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's weak. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, do I. I saw this movie on Hulu called Not Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie stars... Zoe Deutsch mm. and Dylan O'Brien mm-hmm. and Mia Isaac. Uh, Mia Isaac, I had never seen before. I don't believe. Have you seen this? I have not. Okay, uh, this Mia Isaac girl is incredible. Uh, oh, yeah? She's going places. So this is a this is a, a black comedy, a, a sharply satirical uh, movie about a girl who basically is fame seeking. Um, Zoe Deutsch just. Amazing in this movie. Uh, she works at a magazine. It's actually a blog called Depravity. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of uh, aping stuff like the, I guess, the Daily Beast or Vulture mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it opens with her pitching the editor on an article. You find out later she's not a writer. She's uh, a photo editor. But she's in the office of the editor pitching an article about how much life experience she's missed because she wasn't in the States for 9-11. And she was abroad, and everybody else has all this trauma, the the, the shared grief experience. Mm. The editor's like, I think we want to avoid any kind of FOMO about 9-11. Right. (laughs) And so he goes, can't tone deaf be like a brand? Isn't that (laughs) what Lena Dunham does? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she has a guinea pig named Guinea Weasley, um, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan O'Brien <laughs> works at the blog, but he's the influence influencer writer, and he's become an influencer himself, and he's constantly blowing ginormous clouds of vape smoke everywhere, and he's really, really funny in this movie. She has a huge crush on him. She bumps into him and tells him that she got invited to a writer's retreat in Paris, uh, and she just makes it up. It's a complete lie. 
Uh, and he's like, oh, awesome. I'm going to follow you on Instagram so I can see all your pictures. And she's like, okay, crap. What do I do now? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a photo editor. I'm going to start making photoshops that make it look like I'm in Paris. <laughs> and she starts to get a little bit of a following because he follows her back and comments. And then there's a terrorist attack right at the place where she says she's staying oh. in Paris, a bombing. And so she decides to co-opt that event and play up that she's a survivor of the oh, Paris my God. terrorist attack. She goes to a support group. That's where she meets the Mia Isaac character, who's a real survivor of a school shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, she tries to become a surrogate big sister to this girl, all while just making up lie after lie after lie. Um, I went to look at the reviews after I saw this movie. This is on Hulu with a regular subscription. It's a Hulu original. Uh, and it's like a 73 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I read through some of the negative reviews, and they, they had a recurring theme that was that this character is completely unlikable. Why are we following her? Mm -hmm. That's the entire point of the movie. Mm -hmm. She even ends up, after she's exposed, she ends up at a support group for people who have been shamed online trying to get pity from these people. Mm -hmm. And one of the girls next to her says, you're just a rich white girl who still thinks she's the main character. Mm -hmm. And that is the point of the movie. Yeah. Um, that she's not the main character. Neither are you, neither am I, none of us are. Uh, I loved this movie. Mm. Uh, it, it goes on the back of Zoe Deutsch, who I already love from Flower, a couple other movies. She's mm -hmm. a tremendous talent. Uh, but Dylan O'Brien is surprisingly hysterical in this movie. Uh, if anything that I've said sounds intriguing to you, give this a look. I think you would enjoy this. Um, but just know going in, she's a terrible person. Mm -hmm. And that is the point. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I, I like Zoe Deutsch. Uh, was it uh, Everybody Wants Some was the first time I saw her. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. And then she has a scene-stealing performance in Zombieland 2. Um, yes, she does. Yeah, uh, so uh, I, I've always liked there's, her as well. There's a scene where she goes to the influencer guy, D Dylan O'Brien's having an influencer party, and she, when she's leaving, she gets a goodie bag like you would at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And as she's walking home later, she has this like fake "I'm going to do a good deed," and she like hangs, hands it to this homeless lady on the ground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the homeless lady looks through the bag and goes, "Man, what the fuck am I supposed to do?" And it cuts right away to the next scene. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. It's a very funny movie. Um, <laughs> I got to remember who made this because it's she made something else that you've seen. Um, Sorry, this is good radio. The uh, Quinn Shepard is the director, mm. um, and she made um, God Friended Me. She made uh, The Miseducation of Cameron Post with Chloe Moritz, um, and I think those were the two I was thinking of. Mm. Um, but uh, there you go. There's my yeah. first small recommend. Well, Ran a little over on that because I, I was will, enthusiastic. I will <laughs> probably end up watching that at some point. I do like I do like those dark comedies. Um, uh, I watched uh, in theaters the sequel already to X called Pearl. <laughs> um, and uh, the story behind that uh, is fairly well known, I think, at this point. They went out to shoot X, I believe, in Australia. And while they were having a, uh, they while while they were being quarantined, Ty West uh, FaceTimed with Mia Goth and said, hey, 
you want to make another movie while we're out here since you know we've got the the equipment already out here and we've got you know and they did they facetimed the script for this movie before the other one even got shot and then they got it greenlit and everything uh what a what a what a world um uh so this is the sequel to x and 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 the first time i watched x i was like ah don't know if i'm totally on board with this the second time i really liked it this movie is better than x i think um uh if you if you have watched x you know that there's a creepy old woman played by mia goth in a in a double role uh she plays a young woman in a on a porn set and she plays the old lady uh in the movie as well this is that old lady back in world war one world war two days somewhere around there she's living with her parents uh her husband has gone off to war uh her mom is very very strict wants her to always be around because the father has has some sort of affliction uh where he he's he's barely there anymore he can't he can't speak he can't speak he has to they have to bathe him they have to do all these different things um and and pearl seems like you know someone who's just kind of going through the motions but she's got a dark side to her you find this out pretty quickly um but she, but in but even with that dark side you think ah there's and basically she's still a very good person and and uh she when she goes out to town to get uh, uh medicine for her father uh, she often likes to uh, stay around and watch movies while she's at it. So she, so she watches uh, she watches this movie. It's a bunch of dancing and stuff like that. And gets out of the movie, and uh, you get to you get the sense this is finally where who she kind of gets to be herself a little bit more because she's not back at home and all that. She's smoking a cigarette in the alley, and the projectionist comes out and says, "Hey." you should come back here more often, you know, that kind of thing where, uh, um, uh, you know, like I can show you any movie I, I, that you want, you know, that type of thing. And it's, you know, it's not nearly as skeezy as I make it sound, but it's pretty skeezy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so she, she, uh, sort of takes him up on it and finds out that he is at one, he is going to, uh, has dreams of going to Europe and shooting these kind of porn pictures that nobody's really seen yet before. She shows him one that uh, uh, he shows her one that's been that's been already been made, and it's one of these, you know, like I can't believe they made stuff like this back in this day and age or whatever. This silent like porno thing. Or, and I'm trying to figure out the only one thing I'm trying to figure out is if Ty West shot his own and made it look like it was old, or if it was one of those, if it's like a real one that they found or whatever. That's how that's how realistic it looks on the on screen. Um, but you can, but as the movie progresses, you can tell that there's something a little damaged about Pearl just a little mm. bit damaged and we know this from early on but we don't know how far damaged it is until it gets further into the movie and you realize that she will do anything to get off of this farm and uh that she, you know she doesn't want to be around her parents anymore and she is very slowly getting to the point of like i i, I she feels like she's backed into a corner I won't go any further because there's a lot of, you know, things to to re be revealed about this, but mm. it 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 you can tell that this was a big collaboration with Ty West and Mia Goth and they really sank it into this character 
and it's a better i think yeah like i said it's a better movie than x they're gonna have a sequel to x um yeah. and uh someone starring our, mia goth <laughs> yeah starring mia goth uh and uh well that comment i was about to read the comment let's see uh where where was it where's that comment oh yeah the uh tatsuka says pearl is better than x huh well x gone give it to you there you go there you oh. go uh but uh but uh yeah uh i highly recommend pearl i think you will jeremy especially love pearl i think you saw Ooh. x uh i don't know what you thought of x but um Finally saw and enjoyed x yeah i think you will like this more except for the part where that dude plays landslide mm. perfectly i don't i don't understand how you can think you can get away with that anyway, yeah. <laughs> um no i'm i'm very interested in pearl and uh and also max Max Axaxine, however they're gonna. Yeah, well, I guess it's just Maxine. <laughs> yeah, it'll with three just be Maxine. Yep. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I'm going to recommend a movie that. Let me double check. I'm pretty sure is a 39 on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, but a 6.6 on IMDb. Hmm. And uh, this is uh, a movie that, frankly, most people I don't think have seen. It's Bill Murray and the Man Who Knew Too Little. Ah, yes. Which is. Uh, after his run of uh, What About Bob and Groundhog Day, and um, <clears throat> this is in his string of misses, <laughs> mm -hmm. like Larger Than Life, and um, this is a movie where he's just a dumbass American, goes over to London to visit his brother who lives and works there. His brother doesn't have time for him, has a big important meeting, buys him this essentially like a game night type experience where he gets to play the role of a spy and run all throughout London and have all these other actors um, give him this great experience. And just like in Game Night, which I'm now realizing kind of ripped this movie off in concept, <laughs> uh, he accidentally gets embroiled immediately in real criminals and real crime. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, I saw it when uh, uh, I worked at a theater that had this movie and I watched uh, it then. Okay. That's the last time I saw it, though. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene where he's trying to escape a hotel room and he's on the ledge and they're shooting at him and he, he tries to call timeout <laughs> uh, because he thinks he's in an acting show and one of them sh shoots again and he's like, I said timeout, you jack <laughs> um, And then there's a scene later after that where there's a bunch of Russian dancers doing a formal Russian dance and he ends up in costume on the floor doing the, the dance with everybody and of course it's hysterically bad mm -hmm. i can't say this movie is good but i can say i like it and i laugh at it and i've seen it maybe three or four times uh it's of course riffing on the man who knew too much in title mm -hmm. uh, and pretty much that's the only thing it has in common with that movie yeah um <clears throat> but it's got peter gallagher in it joanne whaley who i haven't seen in forever alfred molina's in it um, and if you like Bill Murray and if you like the, the comedies that he made in the nineties, uh, I would give you, a, I would tell you to watch this one. It's on Hulu with a regular subscription. And, uh, I think it's good. I remember enjoying this quite a bit. I didn't think it was cause it was in that period of time with all those bad Bill Murray movies. So I was, uh, not expecting much when I saw it, but, uh, yeah, I remember liking it quite a bit actually. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so uh, a little bit of a left turn. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a YouTube channel. Ooh. Um, this YouTube channel is called Fact Fiend, Ooh. and um, it it's got everything that you want from sort of a like behind the scenes type of research show. 
Um, and, and I think it does YouTube well, although they've recently been struggling and there's a big story behind that, but, um, but the guy, the guy's name is Carl Smallwood. He's on, he's, he's basically in front of a camera in front, uh, with a green screen behind him. And he just talks about some subject, usually pop culture. There's one about seven he does where he's talking about Mm -hmm. how, the script that David Fincher uh, the script that David Fincher got was not the script that the studio wanted him to get. So when he came in to uh, came in to uh, uh, talk about the movie with the studio, the studio was like, "Oh yeah." And by the end of seven, when there's the car chase and blah 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 blah, David Fincher was like, "What car chase? I didn't see a car <laughs> chase in this." And uh, and he was already uh, he David Fincher was already kind of like pissed off at this point. Uh, with studio filmmaking was almost considering quitting because of alien three. And now he's going into mm-hmm. the seven where he's got a script that he loves and the studio's saying, Oh, there's this car chase at the end of seven. So anyway, Carl Smallwood sits here and tells you the whole story of like the ending of seven and how that ending ended up actually making it into the movie and so on and so forth. And he does this with a lot of pop culture, pop culture things. Uh, I remember referring to this a uh, uh, long time ago. Uh, he was talking about Ready Player One, and he said he he said some friend gave him Ready Player One to read, and he was like he was he's like halfway through it, and he was like, so what's the twist? And the guy's like, what twist? I, I was like, I was I was thinking maybe that the twist would be that the guy that we're reading this whole time is really the bad guy of this movie, of this of this book because he's such an asshole all the way through it <laughs> and everything. And he was, apparently that's not it at all, you know, whatever. But. Um, Whenever you see a YouTube channel where it's just basically him talking to somebody off camera and saying, did you ever hear the story of this? And they're like, no, I didn't hear that. And it's like a back and forth. And it's like it builds this sort of like community kind of thing, you know, Mm. where where, you know, you're watching this thing about pop culture that you've never heard of heard about before. And this guy really goes deep into the research of it and like really gets out a lot of the facts and and everything and it's really fun to watch and i think i think you guys out there would really really love fact fiend uh if you uh mm. want to get a new youtube channel in your life and you love pop culture you obviously do because you're listening to us right now so um <laughs> so so give it so give it a whirl man it's fun stuff it's really fun yeah that sounds awesome mm-hmm. that sounds awesome yeah i love that over the course of this show, we've recommended so many different kinds of things, like mm-hmm. video games and and recipes and <laughs> YouTube channels and TV shows. I think I think that's kind of the spirit of the whole show. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So, all right. are we ready for the biggie, biggie, big recommend? I think the big recommend is ready to go. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. It's mm. the Hunt Sucker Proxy. Yeah. I too have seen this movie probably 15 times, but I had not seen it in about eight or nine years. Mm. Um, and that was the perfect amount of time for me to rediscover the joys of this movie. Mm-hmm. I was grinning ear to ear the entire time I watched this movie mm-hmm. uh, because it's just so fun from that from that zoom through the city with that opening narration talking about 1958 and the rat race and finally coming up on Tim Robbins and then saying, well, basically, let's go back and find out how we got ourselves here. It just, it's like a, it's like a storybook uh, on film. Uh, and 
I really like that quality. It's almost visually Tim Burton-esque at times, mm-hmm. um, I think, at least in terms of um, some of the set design. It's definitely uh, the- a kind of an otherworldly feel to it. It doesn't yeah. feel like a big city building, really. It's it's just... Uh, it, it it does feel very, it feels like you're on a set, but like I don't know, it's it's it does have that Tim Burton kind of feel to it. I know exactly what you what you're trying to say there. Um, <clears throat> so we have Normal Barnes as our main character. This is Tim Robbins. Uh, the producer Joel Silver wanted Tom Cruise. Imagine the movie <laughs> yeah. that had happened. Um, yep. <clears throat> Tim Robbins' uh, height actually works to his advantage in this movie in terms of some of the physical comedy that he does and some of the juxtaposition between him and other characters. Uh, He gets off the bus from Muncie, Indiana. And let me tell you, I've been to Muncie, Indiana probably 30 or 40 times. Mm -hmm. I used to live very near Muncie, Indiana. Um, And he's fresh out of the Muncie School of Business, uh, College of School of Business, whatever the hell they call Mm -hmm. it. And he's going to get a job. Only all the jobs require experience. So he has to start at the bottom at the mailroom at the Hudsucker Industries building. And this is probably one of the most famous scenes from this movie as his boss walks him through the mailroom, barking out all the rules, telling them that, and they dock you if he messes up any of it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, people are constantly giving him packages and envelopes and things to carry and saying, this has to be on the 8th floor by midnight. And he just being bombarded with information. Mm -hmm. It's just a really classic scene. I think we've used it in videos. A dozen times. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. Yep. Um, <clears throat> well, he's got an idea. After his coffee cup leaves a circle on his newspaper, mm-hmm. he's got an idea. And so he draws it on a piece of paper. And when he gets his opportunity, which is a blue letter, blue letter uh, introduction is hysterical because everybody wigs the fuck out everywhere they go. Like even the elevator guys, like making all this chit chat and Jesus, Mary, Joseph, yeah. is that a blue letter? <laughs> um, <clears throat> the blue letter has made this ominous, ominous thing. And it's a, Chekhov's blue letter that the movie makes you forget completely mm-hmm. until it brings it back and it's a, it's perfection. Um, so he goes up with this blue letter to Paul Newman's office, which was almost Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Um, and uh, Paul Newman is Sidney Musburger. Now this he's the acting president. The president of this company has jumped to his death um, after a really really good financial report from the board. He runs down a really long boardroom table and goes out the window and all Mm -hmm. the way down. Um, And so now um, they're looking for a patsy. They're looking for a proxy. They're looking for a doofus, Mm -hmm. somebody that they can control uh, to name as acting president. And they want to tank the stock um, because uh, then they'll be able to buy it. They can't afford to buy the stock. um, And and the dead Hudsucker founder of the company, his stock is going to hit the, the public market on January 1st or something. And so they want to tank the company's stock so that they can afford to buy most of it and then go back to doing business as normal and then they'll be rich. That's the, that's the scheme. Uh, it's a hilarious bit of physical comedy when Tim Allen is in Paul Newman's office with a fire and a water cooler uh, and a trash can. Uh, and all throughout the process, uh, he proves to Paul Newman that he is exactly the idiot he's looking for. Mm-hmm. But he does get to share his idea, and it's for a circle. You know, for kids, mm-hmm. it takes you know, yeah, a third of the movie before we find out that that is a hula hoop 
that he has designed. And hilariously, there are two more designs that are an exact circle that we see later in the movie for two completely different well-known yeah. products. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and of course, the hula hoop, after initial struggles, is a massive success. There's an amazing scene where nobody buys them, so the store owner throws them out. And this one little kid finds it and picks it up. It's actually stops right at his feet and he's the hula hooping wizard mm -hmm. all the kids get out of school and they're running around the corner and they see him and stop and they're all amazed and then suddenly hula hoops are everywhere and the stock is not tanking it's going up all the while we have jennifer jason lee she works for the local newspaper and she's been sent in undercover uh, to try and get the scoop at the company and she writes an article early on about him being a big doofus and he doesn't know that his new secretary is also the woman author of these articles that are criticizing him. Uh, she gives an incredible performance in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> she claims to be from Muncie herself. There's a hilarious scene where he does the fight song from the school and she pretends to know it and keep, try and keep up with him. Uh, and of course, he's an idiot. He doesn't realize. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but eventually she falls for him. Um, and then after she falls for him, as he starts letting the success go to his head, starts becoming an asshole, she calls him on it. Uh, at this point, he's got a four-piece orchestra in his office, cucumbers on his eyes, there's a <laughs> sculptor in the corner making a sculpture. Um, and uh, I just love all the visual uh, pops of this movie. Like, even the offices where Paul Newman's got one corner of the clock, the big clock on the building, mm -hmm. in the background of his office, and we yeah. see the, the hand going by. It leaves a long shadow on the wall. It does. right to Tim Robbins. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a visual feast. Um, there's a great performance uh, for Buzz the Bellboy. Who, yeah, uh, probably... Jim True. Okay, good. He was, he um, was uh, in Singles. If you remember Singles, he's the guy who's like, he's got 20 numbers. He got 20 numbers. He's in Singles. Yeah, he also goes on to be in The Wire. Yeah. As one of the guys on the special squad. He's mm -hmm. awesome in this movie. He's yep. a fast-talking uh, bellhop. He eventually <laughs> has his own idea of a circle. Yeah. It turns out to be for a bendy straw. You know, for drinks. Um, <laughs> you know, for drinks. <laughs> um, and basically... Um, Paul Newman discovers that this journalist has been uh, acting as his secretary and writing all these bad articles. He finds out the newspaper is going to publish an article that outright says that Norval Barnes stole the hula hoop idea from Buzz the Bellhop, mm -hmm. which we know is not true. But at this point, there's no one that he can convince. Um, she quits her job at the newspaper in defiance, tries to find him and cheer him up, but he now knows that she was lying to him. He leaves and off to have one of the worst evenings ever. He's already drunk. And I love when he says, when she shows up, he says, Hey, the prize it's a pool winner. <laughs> um, he stumbles up the stairs and then Buzz the bellhop sees him and the whole mob chases him down the street in a what I can only call a Tom and Jerry type chase sequence. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> he ends up on the ledge himself contemplating uh, jumping. Uh, then he slips and falls, and he's dangling there, and then he eventually falls. And you think, oh, no, right before he hits the ground, actually maybe 20, 30 feet up, he stops. <laughs> and we cut back to the narrator, who's also the clock keeper of mm -hmm. this building, and he has wedged a broom handle into the clock, and it stopped the clock. And that actually has effectively stopped time. We <laughs> see the, the ball desk toy in Paul Newman's office is frozen in his lap. <laughs> he's frozen in his desk. Um, and the guy says, now, strictly speaking, 
I'm not ever supposed to do this. Yeah. You have any other ideas? <laughs> um, and then the dead Hudsucker comes down in angel form with yet another circle, a halo above yep. his head. Yep. And uh, says the words, why didn't you deliver that blue letter? You mm -hmm. might have learned something. Mm -hmm. And even having seen this movie so many times, I got so caught up in it this time. I was like, the blue letter, that's right. I forgot mm -hmm. how this ended. And the blue letter, of course, bequeaths all of the stock to whoever that board names president, uh, which ends up being Norval Barnes. Mm -hmm. And the day is saved. Um, <clears throat> he goes on to run a good company and they do another circle doodle, and it turns out to be a frisbee. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I love everything about this movie. I love the score. I love the, the visual mm -hmm. flair. I love the sets. I love the acting. Everybody's great. I can't imagine Clint Eastwood or Tom Cruise or anybody but Paul Newman and Tim Robbins in this movie. Yeah. Um, and it's PG. I, mm -hmm. I forgot this movie was rated PG. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Let's hear from Chris. What were your thoughts this time around? <clears throat> uh, yeah, the circle thing uh, was something I kept a lot of tabs on during this one. Uh, the 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 circle that uh, forms around the the future is now Shaw uh, Shawshank, uh, Hudsucker um, uh, classified ad uh, is is the first circle that we see. Of course, he has the circle that he is uh, going to eventually make the hula hoop. The clock itself is a circle the halo's a circle you can even say the story comes full circle because he yeah. is in the mailroom and then by the end of it he has to get his mailroom outfit back on to get the uh uh the uh the blue letter out and everything yep uh there are so many moments of just purely just pure coen brothers comedy in this like and just the way they shoot a movie a lot of times, like he's looking at those classified ads on those little boards outside and everything. And like all the images are like coming in, like, you know, like what is, you know, experience, experience, experience. Yeah. And, um, and uh and the there's that whole thing too where there's that whole like where the hula hoop is getting like uh, uh approved through all these different processes and everything and you see like you know like, like the, all these like overlays of people stamping and stuff like, while it's doing uh you have that uh that moment uh where uh they're trying to come up with the name of what this is which Sam Raimi is one of those people who's behind the behind the glass talk, trying to come up with the name for the hula hoop um, that's awesome uh, but and again, this movie, uh, you know, as much as, as it focuses on Tim Robbins and as much as it, it's um, amazing to see Paul Newman in it, this is Jennifer Jason Lee's movie for me. Um, mm -hmm. th everything about this, about her performance in this movie makes me fall in love with her, especially the scene where she's at her desk and she's talking to Smitty played by Bruce Campbell and there's mm -hmm. a guy doing a puzzle, trying to work out a puzzle, crossword puzzle thing for the newspaper in the back, who keeps on throwing out this, like, what's a 10-letter word for this, and what's a five-letter word for that, and so on and so forth. Yeah. She's talking to Smitty, to the guy doing that, and then gets on the phone and starts talking about uh, what she's going to do with this story. And, you know, and she's like, let me tell you this, Smitty, here's the gravy, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like, <laughs> and she's sitting there, like, typing with this cigarette in her mouth and everything. I love the way that she says, you can consider this my resignation, and all that like uh when she's walking out and kicks that dude in the shins um um then uh i also love how they they manipulate time in this there's so many things mm. in this that make it seem like i don't know if the movie is 
literally saying this is happening all in a day. It's really just trying to tell you how fast things are going. Like, right. for instance, the, the hula hoop uh, being sent to market, uh, it's easy to say, oh, well, this all happened in one day. But I could, I, I could literally say that this was a full, like, even though that's not, I don't think that's the time frame of the movie. The time frame of the movie is like a month, maybe, if that. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. But you could literally say that, uh, that you could say that that whole sequence where the kid finds the hula hoop and everything might have been something like weeks. Because consider, yeah. consider the, um, consider what what they're saying there. This guy put hula hoops on sale at his, at his toy store, and he was so distraught that nobody bought this thing for kids during school. That he was putting, it, it got down to the point where the price went down to the point where it's like free with any purchase. Yeah. <laughs> and then he throws them out, and then, yeah, you have this wonderkind who finds it on the sidewalk and stuff. It, it, uh, it's, it, to me, you could say that, you could say that this is how a lot of products uh, have, a, have, a lot of products have issues with. They don't come out at the right time. Like, if this comes out in the summer, then the kids are all getting hula hoops and trying them out, and you get the Wonder Kid a lot faster. This one does say that it, this one does seem to say this all happened in a day, but I think the movie's kind of saying this may be weeks or something like that. Like, in a real world, it's just weeks that this takes. Well, and he even says at the end, you know, you, you go to the top really, really fast, but the the fall is always slow and I forget the exact quote, but that sort of mirrors how the movie goes because it all happens really fast. And then on his last worst day, we, we spend a bunch of it with him. Um, New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. I yeah. love the language of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, the Coens always have good language, uh, good dialogue, mm -hmm. but I love the, the old timey, correcting each other like the 44 floors 45 mm. counting the mezzanine yeah. and then in the same conversation it's 45 floors no 44 not counting the mezzanine yeah. and then later they're not even talking about the building floors and the guy still brings the mezzanine into the conversation <laughs> yes yes and at the very end when he's trying to read this letter and he's struggling of course he's hanging in the air um but Hudsucker keeps correcting him because he says, uh, fall. Like, yeah. It's fail. And he says, and if you fail, and he's no, it's fall. Uh, it's just, I, I think, I don't know. I think there's just such a sharp focus on dialogue. It's not even two hours as a movie. I feel like it's just very tight. Everything was just very confident and tight. I just, I love it. Well, and and yeah, you bring up a lot of the other. There's there's just general masters doing everything in this movie. You have Roger Deakins, who's always on the Coen Brothers movies, uh, who's doing the cinematography. Carter Burwell, one of the best composers of all time, is doing the music. Although they are uh, using a known um, a known piece of music. I think it's called Adagio for Spartacus or something during this. Um, and, uh, but, but that just blends in with it. By the end of the movie, you're going to be, you're going to be like, there's going to be music in here. That's just going to be in your head, especially like, like that, that Adagio for Spartacus is going to be in your head. The, uh, the, the, the music that's playing during that whole like whirlwind, uh, thing where the hula hoop is getting approved and all that, you know, all that. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of masters working on this and, the, the, the mystery of this movie to me is that I know lots of people who do not like this at all. Do not put this anywhere near the top of the Coen Brothers heap. Um, mm. 
the, the Coen brothers set the bar pretty high. I mean, there's a lot of great movies, but they, there's some people I know who would put this at the bottom and not have any worries about it. And to me, I'm like, I, I just watched this again yesterday and I, yes, I have some nostalgia for it, but at the same time, like, how do you not see all the greatness that's in this movie? I don't understand it, you know, and to each his own. Sure. Everybody can, you know, you can hate this movie if you want. It's just that I don't understand what you're seeing that is not good about this. Some people think Jennifer Jason Lee is too over the top in this. Like, like she's trying for some sort of, you know, like that old thirties dialogue, that fast talking, whatever, but yeah. she does it to perfection. It works so well for this movie. I don't understand yeah. it. So, Anyway, yeah. um yeah, I love it. I love it to pieces. <laughs> I love when he's insulting the author of the article, but he doesn't know it's the woman he's talking to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then he says, why don't we get dinner and see a show? I, I was thinking The King and I. And she <laughs> slaps him for all the shit he was saying about her being the author. And yeah. he goes, okay, how about Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and oh, well, and you're talking about you know you're talking about the elevator guy that he, when he's when he gets on the elevator and he's like going all the way to the top okay buddy or whatever goes up to the next level there's three people get on and he's like hello mrs blah you're you're number 17 you know you're number you're number 20 and you're number 37 he goes 36 walk down yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's doing rhymes it's like hey kevin you're 37 and yeah that's yeah. the reason he wants to say that more. yeah yeah walk down um uh so yeah there, it, there's just a lot of i mean even i mean and it's funny they all would always they put in uh anna nicole smith playing uh basically what is jaja gabor in this <laughs> there, there's she's just jaja in this or whatever but um but but uh it's it's just fun it's just funny seeing i mean you of all the people back in 19 the 1990s who would you think would get into a coen brothers movie you wouldn't think anna nicole smith would be in one and and it's just it just shows their range of like knowledge and things that are out there that you see these kind of you see these kind of characters these uh these kind of actors and uh whatever in it it's just i don't know as it, this is this movie is just uh, it's just a delight it's such a delight yes um, i agree now i got i got to find out what the double feature is going to be what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co be very very quiet secret what secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Um. Okay. Uh. Before we get into the double feature, I will go over a few of the comments that were highlighted here. Um. Uh. Apathy says seeing the love for this movie spread is heartwarming. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh. Joseph says that part where he's looking at the job board gave me flashbacks to job hunting. It's a starting <laughs> job, but requires experience. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Jagged says this is this so far is my favorite recommended movie on Recotopia. Well, there you go. It is. It would be highly high on my list as well. Uh, and then uh, it says Jagged says I didn't realize Sam Raimi co-wrote the movie until Bruce Campbell showed up, and then I just assumed he did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a that is a a weird pa- that's a super powerhouse that you're seeing there. They ha- I don't think they had collaborated this way since Crime Wave, and Crime Wave is not a really good movie. Sam Raimi mm. directed to that, and I think Cohen's wrote it or whatever. But uh, but uh, it was interesting to see them all collaborating on this one. 
Uh, Shaggy Nut says best Cohen movie, and then Castro says wordplay is an underused art in comedy these days. Absolutely. Um, Indeed. Okay, so my uh, my uh, double feature here is uh, goes along sort of the same lines um, in in plotting. Um, uh, I was thinking of Mel Brooks, the producers for this. Um, mm. Uh, mainly because the the whole the the whole plot of that movie is a director and accountant want to come up with the worst possible play that they can come up with and make money based on people spending you know hoping that they're going to get a hundred percent profit back or whatever that they're never going to be able to pay back because they're not going to make they're not going to make the money that they think they're going to make. And of course, one, if the if the play is a hit, then they have a big problem because they have a huge amount of profits that they have promised to there everybody. There's a lot of parallel there, yeah. Uh, so, so you know, as as the producers has that you know that famous line, like we picked the worst worst writer and we picked the, picked the worst director. Where did we go right? Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like that. Like in and in in Huntsucker Proxy, you know, look. I don't think the Coen brothers are saying the hula hoop is a genius invention of any sort. It, it does show you how, um, how like, how like lucky you have to be to get something to succeed a lot of times. And in this case, this is something that nobody would have ever cared about if it's not, if not for, you know, this is not the real story of the hula hoop, but in this movie, if it this movie this hula hoop doesn't do anything unless some kid runs across it in the sidewalk and is is like instantly Mozart with it, you know. So like, um, it, it, and and then it becomes a thing in front of a whole bunch of children and all the kids want it want it and everything. But yeah, uh, the producers was the movie that I thought of during this. I thought that I thought that was a big parallel uh, for this. So um, uh, excellent. Yeah. Which, uh, Excellent. I was expecting you to say, but I didn't choose that because that's what we usually do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That reminds me, though, when you're talking about the hula hoop scene, reminds me of that Simpsons episode with the yo-yos, mm -hmm. where uh, everybody wants a yo-yo. Yeah. <clears throat> all, all, all of a sudden, everybody yeah. wants a yo-yo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, uh, I like that. That is an excellent double feature, and uh, I think even some of the tone. Uh, not just the parallel story ideas, but I think they're similar in tone. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. All right. Now, what about homework for next week? What's the big recommend? All right. So we have a, um, you know, October is going to be uh, our, our next few episodes. Uh, I don't know how it's going to go, but I do want to do get at least one horror movie in and one that I don't think many people talk about um, that much. Uh, it is 1980s The Changeling. Uh, nice. with, uh, George C. Scott. Um, this, uh, this movie doesn't get, uh, a lot of play in the, uh, in the horror realm. Like it, it feels, it feels like people kind of overlook this. Um, and I haven't seen this in forever. So who knows? Maybe again, like, you know, we always take our chances when with a movie we haven't seen in forever, but I remember lo loving the changeling when I last saw it, which was back in the nineties somewhere. But, um, but I remember there being a lot of creepy stuff in this. I've seen the Angelina Jolie one. Um, which is, is, is a completely thing? different, completely different. Movie. Oh, uh, not the, even a, it's, a it's, remake it, yeah it's just called changeling and it's okay. and angelina jolie has a kid and the kid is like kidnapped or something like that and then they bring back another kid and it's not her it's not her kid and she 
is like swearing up and down to people in the government that it's not her kid and they're like ah screw you you're just a dame blah 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 you know that type of thing uh, okay this movie right, so this movie is a horror movie um and it has nothing to do with uh that angelina jolie movie although the angelina jolie movie is pretty pretty good actually overall but, i liked it um yeah. By the way, folks uh, listening, uh, the Changeling, the 1980 uh, version, or I guess it's the only version, um, I'm going to tell you all the services you can find it. It's on Plex, it's on Vudu, it's on Tubi, it's on a P with a bunch of colored circles next to it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> is that Peacock? I don't know what that one is. It's on the Roku channel if you have a premium subscription. It's on Amazon Prime if you have, a, oh, it is Peacock, uh, if you have a premium subscription, and it's on Peacock. Lots of places to find this one for free if you're willing to watch some commercials and even a couple places for free no commercials and you and you said you've seen this i've not no i won't uh, oh, I, you're not seen i was this. thinking okay. it was connected to the joe lee film and i would have at least some concept but no i've never seen this i'm excited yeah, to watch this. yeah Joyce and and, and once again mm. I'll, I'll remind everybody because we did talk about the angelina jolie movie a little bit this is 1980 george c scott horror movie not the Angelina Jolie movie. So just uh, just keep that in mind. You are going to type in Changeling into your various streaming services, and that Angelina Jolie movie will come up. Watch the George C. Scott, 1980. Yes. Don't be fooled by Angelina Jolie. Also, um, I am. Uh, I think we're both planning to pick uh, horror or horror-adjacent stuff for October. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are trying to set up an interview um, with uh, an old friend mm-hmm. that we interviewed on a previous uh, podcast. Um and that will be in October and won't be really about a horror movie. But I'm excited to watch this one. I'm excited to pick my next uh, October-related one. Okay, Absolutely. so let's uh, do a couple questions. What do you say? Yeah, questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Um, <clears throat> this is a long one. Uh, in 51st Dates, Lucy makes her dad and brother watch The Sixth Sense every day because she has no memory of the day before. And they have to sit there and pretend to be surprised that Bruce Willis was Kaiser Soze the whole time. What movie would you love to watch every day with someone who was discovering it for the first time? Conversely, what movie would drive you batshit insane if you had to watch it every day? Well, obviously, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to give them Back to the Future. I'll watch that every day. I, in fact, I did that a long time ago, watch Back to the Future every day. But uh, Back to the Future would be a great one. The Prestige is one that I would love to see somebody watch for, uh, for the first time uh, mm. a bunch. Mm. If there was a, a crazy I, – I was, I was thinking about the spirit of that question. Like, obviously, you wouldn't want to see anything bad. But is there a movie that's good – that you wouldn't want to see every day that would drive you crazy. And I was thinking something along the lines of my dinner with Andre or, or primer. Those would be those type of movies that you wouldn't want to watch every day. Um, cause they're good, but you know, it's like, uh, I don't want it every day and I can't have oh, that every day. Man. So oh, I would say, uh, for the one that I would want to watch every day, either iron giant, because it's just so damn perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or The Matrix, mm-hmm. uh, because I did get to watch my niece and nephew see The Matrix for the first time uh, when they were teenagers, and it was awesome. Uh, and it's also my favorite movie, so I wouldn't mind watching that every day. On the flip side, I think any Darren Aronofsky film. Oh, yeah. Just because they're so fucking depressing, even though most of them are excellent. Like, mm. Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, The Wrestler. If I had to watch any of those every day, I would be in such a bad headspace. Mm-hmm. It would just be 
awful. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what do some of the commenters have to say? Any good ideas over there? Uh, this is uh, eight says the prestige aping aping my own uh, pick there. Uh, that uh, that Weeda says Princess Bride. I love showing that one to people. Uh, yeah, Princess Bride would be great. Uh, yeah. Movie I'd love The Martian. Movie I'd hate Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Passion of the Christ. Not watching that again. <laughs> though I thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. That would definitely not be something that you would want to watch over and over. Jet Smith says. <laughs> The movie that would drive me insane would be The Ring. Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh. And then Polly says, even movies I like, I don't want to see it like every day for a long time. Imagine watching Audition. Yeah, Audition <laughs> would be a tough one to watch over and over again, for sure. All right, uh, another question. Um, what's the best score from a bad movie? Um, Lady in the Water seems to have a pretty good uh, score. Lady in the Water is a James Newton Howard uh, score um it, the movie itself i mean it, it, that's m night at his at his deepest up his own ass he's ever been his lady in the water and and it's it's one of those movies where it's like you can tell that somebody who really loves movies is making it behind the camera <laughs> but it's just oh it's such a slog but the music itself i can i can take the mu lady in the water is good mm. so mm, that's a good call mm. i uh I've only seen that movie twice, and I don't think I want to watch it enough to know the score. But mm. um, I might give the score itself a listen. Uh, I chose Waterworld, which I don't personally even consider a bad movie, but society does, and I'll mm -hmm. agree with them. Uh, but I love this movie. But I could sing that. Dun, 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 I love it. It's like piratey and an adventure-y. Um, there's a lot of other good things about Waterworld. But mm -hmm. it doesn't equal a, a good whole but the score is not a problem. Yeah. I, uh, I heard that uh, Kevin Costner actually took over for the composer and wrote the score. He probably did. Actually, Edward Norton did. You didn't realize that Edward Norton <laughs> took over. Um, over on the comments, Joseph says, Raise the Titanic is a score I like. Movie is not great. Jets Met hmm. says, Batman Forever, although that may be more soundtrack then well score's pretty good score's pretty it's good still rules though yeah, yeah. soundtrack's I great had that album yeah uh monday says toy story 4 is literally the worst movie pixar ever made hey you take that back it's cars too um <laughs> uh but newman is trying so hard to be honest yes yes he definitely is uh jagged pirates of the caribbean two through five have amazing scores and i believe that's hans zimmer uh who's doing pirates of the caribbean although it could be han zimmer and somebody else or somebody who's mm. like under han zimmer or something like one of those type of things han zimmer these days it, like a lot of times it's like that's a han zimmer score and then you find out it's han zimmer and somebody or something especially some of the that snyder way. stuff yeah it's like han zimmer and then it'd be like a dj name or something mm -hmm. like yeah what's that captain death or whoever did the score for i don't know his name but the batman v superman oh yeah i know what you're like talking about yeah I, I can't Fee. remember I forget. Anyway, <laughs> I don't, i'm not even gonna google it yeah um, <laughs> let's uh let's do another one um mm -hmm. good movie that most people seem to either have never seen or forgotten about this is the premise of this podcast in many many cases but um, yeah pretty what much do you got here um and i've said this a million times but the one i feel very few people have seen is zero effect um and I, I i try to espouse that movie as much as i can however you know it, it may be hard to find these days and who knows i don't know people may not like it as much when they see it but i think the one movie that people have forgotten about that is great probably should have won best picture in 1997 la confidential 
Uh, I don't mm. seem to hear much about LA Confidential anymore. Um, right. uh, it, it seems like a lot of movies from the nineties have gotten their resurrections and everything, but LA Confidential has sort of been one of those that's just top of the line. Excellent. That people have just forgotten about. So, uh, would def- I, I've even thought about making LA Confidential a, um, a big recommend, at some point, but I'd, I've been trying to gauge whether or not it was a movie that was that nobody's talking about, or if it is, and I'm just not seeing that conversation. So, mm. Um, mm. Uh, yeah. By the way, somebody said Junk, Junkie XL is the guy who who's been Thank doing you. music with yeah. Captain Death. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Death, uh, aka Captain Death. <laughs> I uh, I think eventually, if this show goes long enough. Uh, my answer is one that I will make a big recommend, and it's 1998's Safe Men with yeah. Steve Zahn and Sam Rockwell mm-hmm. and uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, where a couple of uh, crappy musicians and singers get mistaken for uh, expert safe crackers and get mm-hmm. mixed up with the mob um, and the Stanley Cup. Uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> underrated films that people, I don't. I know one person besides you who has ever talked about this movie with me, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the rest of the world just doesn't seem to know it exists. So mm. That's my answer. Uh, over in the comments, Chet Smith says eleven fourteen. It's a movie with Patrick Swayze. I've never even heard of it. Um, wow. And uh, Shaggy Nut says Time Cop, which is I know is a big one on your list of uh, <laughs> like all time kind of like you know fun movies that you know people that don't is really also batshit insane. Yes, right, right. Is is Ouija Shark a thing, or am I just reading this cor- incorrectly, or is it just Ouija? Is it just Ouija? I don't know. I can't. I, I can't quite tell by based. I on hope that. there's a movie called Ouija Shark. Uh, I hope so too. If there's not, <laughs> if there's not, go to Tubi. There, you probably find one. Um, uh, that Ouija says out of sight is amazing, and not enough people have seen it. Very, very correct. Uh, Castro says hoodwinked. Yes, um, I've heard this. Hoodwinked is really good. Uh, I've never seen it's it. A God little dang red it. Ri- it's like a Little Red Riding Hood cartoon that's sort of... Uh, Shrekified? Uh, uh, kind of Shrekified, but not as annoying as Shrek, I don't think. <laughs> I believe Anne Hathaway plays Little Re- is the voice of Little Red Riding Hood in that movie. Uh, Equilibrium, right. great choice, is another that one. Is yes, an awesome choice. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, yeah, all of those are good. So Yeah. Um, all right. Um, let's do one more, and then we'll wave goodbye. All right. Um, what is the most recent interesting movie factoid that you have learned? Um, I mean, I actually gave it away during the Pearl recommendation. the The fact that they ha- they went to Australia and they had to have a two week quarantine where they were sitting there waiting for all of that to get done, and in the middle of all that, decided, hey let's write the prequel to this movie before we even make this movie. Uh, and then they got it greenlit before they even made the first, that made X. That is astounding to me. That's uh, absurd. It's such a great story. And then, and to, to have done that and then just, just make the movie while you're out there. And it's just happens to be great when they get it done. So I, uh, I have two, one I didn't, uh, write down. Um, I love the, the factoid I learned several months ago about the end of Free Guy, where they use the Captain America shield and the lightsaber being shot after the bulk of the movie, but 
Fox had been acquired by Disney and Ryan Reynolds and the director went to whoever and said, hey, now that we're all the same company, can we use a couple of Disney and MCU <laughs> stuff at the end of this movie? And it's one of the best moments of the whole film. Yeah. Um, and it just occurred to Ryan Reynolds. Um, and then another one I just uh, read last week is that almost all of the night scenes in Jordan Peele's Nope were shot in broad-ass daylight. Yeah, that's insane. they basically invented a new lens that uses different infrared wavelengths. And I read about it, and I still don't know what they did, but I think it's going to change a lot of things in cinema in terms of... Because you can't shoot with kids after a certain hour. Yeah. So imagine you're making a movie like Goonies, and now you can just fake night. Because I don't... I'm usually really good at seeing when they shot in daylight and then just darkened it in post. But that's not what happened here. They used a special lens. I couldn't have told you that any of those scenes were shot in the mm -hmm. daytime. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, um, do we have any factoids in the... Uh, <laughs> you know well, Chris, Batkin, Chris Batkinson says, did you know that when Viggo Mortensen kicked the helmet and he dot, dot, dots it because that's one of those all time, <laughs> like everybody. Yes, he actually broke his toes when he kicked that helmet and he continued with the scene. Amazing. Way to go, Vigo. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, um, uh, Joseph says it's not exactly cool, but I was surprised that Dolph Lundgren put Sly Stallone in the ICU in the Rocky movie he's in. So yeah, yeah, totally. Um, um, all right. Well, that's going to do it, um, for this episode of Recotopia. Uh, yeah. next, next week is change is the changeling. Uh, remember to not confuse it with the Angelina Jolie movie. Watch the George C. Scott movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it was a pleasure having everybody, uh, on the comments again and Twitch and YouTube. Thank you so much for coming out and, uh, and, uh, making the place lively around here. Uh, so we week, will see you everybody. next time. See ya. Goodbye. Bye. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. I was like, it kinda it kinda fucked Wanda a bit in this in this movie. She kinda like at the by by the end of the WandaVision, it's like, oh, she she uh went through some trials and tribulations. She got she made it through. She's grown as a character. And then of course they had this little you know, stinger at the end of the show, like if you watch till the end of the credits, where it's like, Oh, there may still be some evil in that Wanda and it's all setting up <laughs> Doctor Strange, basically. And and it's like eh, it seems kinda like yeah, I don't know. Why why why'd we go through all of this? Why did she yeah. go through all of this? Only just to be evil again for this movie? Like, why couldn't she just be evil at the end of the show and then she could have her yeah. growth? What's crazy is she's phenomenal in the in these movies. Mm -hmm. She's great in this role. Yeah. But they have never given me anything to care about with this character. Mm -hmm. Like, her and Vision fell in love, like, to the depths of the ocean Makes off no screen. sense, yeah. And I'm supposed to be 
all cut up inside when Vision dies and she's upset and I, I'm not. I feel like Thanos. I'm like, I don't even well, know who you are. And you needed a sh <clears throat> you needed something like WandaVision to get you into the point where you were like, oh, they, they do really love each other and everything. But like nothing exactly. in the movies, nothing yeah. in the movie said that. You know, it, that was that was to me, that was Hermione and Ron all over again. <laughs> yes. That was yes. that was that was like like no I insist they are in love so you should therefore think they are in love to, as well and I'm like okay okay say so, did you see any of that Alan Rickman diary stuff that was on Twitter yes <laughs> yes <laughs> I mean it doesn't sound, first of all my first question is who how does this happen yeah same the man has been dead and somebody finds this and what leaks it that yeah. seems really rude it's really really um, sketch yeah. <clears throat> Unless it's like his direct, you know, next of kin, and he had written authorization. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But, um, I highly doubt he'd as... be like. I highly doubt he'd be like, "Hey, by the way, tell people that I didn't want to be in Harry Potter after the third, second movie. <laughs> tell people how little I thought of, of Emma Watson's yeah, exactly. accent. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not quite as scandalous." as the headlines made it seem. Mm -hmm. uh, I do th I do think it's interesting because his feelings about Harry Potter seem to evolved and changed mm -hmm. over the course of making eight movies um, to where he almost seems really proud of it uh, by the end. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I just, I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell my wife after I get off of here, don't release my private writing mm, mm -hmm. after I'm dead. Mm -hmm. Don't yep. do it. Yep. Um, because I, if I wanted that shit out there, I would have published it myself. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you almost, I mean, I feel like most of the people he mentions by name, like Emma Watson or Daniel Radcliffe, are, are mature enough at this point to to take that all in stride. And I'm sure they had a solid relationship well, with him. Well, hey, the we were just kids and we were stupid <clears throat> kids yeah. and, you know. Yeah. All that. <laughs> He's almost his character from Galaxy he's Quest. He's exactly his character <laughs> from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> In that he's like, oh, I did Hamlet on this <laughs> British loyal British stage. Yeah. Got three curtain calls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about the uh, starting extra innings with the player on second base? Uh, in general, I like it. Yeah. Because um, it leads to more action. Yeah, and the home team already had an advantage anyway, uh, being sudden death uh, and everything. But I don't know. It's it. It can. It, I don't. I don't know if the intended purpose of it, which was to shorten games, yeah, um, is actually happening. Because I mean. Yes, there would be some games once in a blue moon. You'd get something that would go 18 innings or something like that, which is insane. Um, but I don't think it happened often enough um, that you – I don't know. I, I, in general, I like it because it does – I don't know. Are they doing that in the postseason, though? I'm not sure if they're doing it in the postseason. I don't think so. It's kind of like so. it's kind of like the NHL and their shootout and everything. Yeah. It's kind of like the shootout. Yeah. So I, I, I think I think that's fine. I think it's fine in regular season. In postseason, no, I don't think it's fine. Because it, yeah. it, far and away, the home team has the advantage there. And as they should in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just the first time I saw it was really jarring uh, because I hadn't read or seen enough baseball or read enough to know that they had 
continued doing that after the pandemic. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do I, that was literally, I went out of the room during a commercial and came back and they always had a guy on second. And I was like, whoa, double. Awesome. Mm-hmm. How did it, well, let's see how that happened. And I looked up the game and it, it did not say a double. It said, uh, oh, what was the first? What's Started the first? at second or something or whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's an I word inserted or yeah. in, anyway. <clears throat> yeah. It's always yeah. the, whoever was last at bat goes there. The, uh, Seattle Mariners might be fun to watch too. Are they good? I didn't know. They yeah, were they are. They are good. Um, kind of came came out of nowhere last year. Uh, uh, started getting really good, and uh, even lost a couple of guys uh, from last year. And uh, but then they got Julio Rodriguez this year, and mm. um, they're still good. Mariners are still good. Ichiro's still uh, kicking it around. He's he's yeah. no, but he 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 shows up now and then. He show he showed up at joking. that. He showed up at that special game where, like, uh, the the girl who got the foul ball from him oh, yeah. 10 years ago. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, threw out the first pitch, and they had a whole Ichiro girl game. Um, <laughs> thought All that right. was Well, I can think of worse things to be famous for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, girl who chugs a beer at the U.S. Open. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, she seems to be enjoying it. Oh, she, that, that's one of the most genuine reactions ever uh, caught on a, uh, on a broadcast. I'm ready to get this show in the Let's mood. shoot this fucker. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.